All right, beloved church, our reading of God's Word is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. Let me pray. Father, we come to this moment where your holy word is read and we recognize the grace that it is because you have spoken to us words of life and truth and goodness. You have given us these words to equip us and edify us and make us more like your son to free us from the bondage of sin, to uh, set us apart from the world, to reorient ourselves upon your perfection. And so, Father, we press in to hear the word. We press in to understand the word. We silence our phones and our busy minds with calendars and things to do, and we say, let us hear. Father, give us ears to hear. And Father, I pray your anointing by your Spirit that what I preach today, Father, is not the wisdom of man or the cleverness of of an individual, but Father, that it would be pure and clear and powerfully yours, that the Holy Spirit would accompany your word for us today that you would be glorified. We claim this upon the promise that your word does not return void, but accomplishes its purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good morning once again. We have been working our way through Colossians for several weeks. Uh, We've been working our way through Colossians 3 for several weeks. So uh, we've been in Colossians a while. We have uh, seen the main theme of Colossians under the uh, message of Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to save us. And so Paul has gone through the the theology of chapters 1 and 2 to to cast aside any other way that we might approach God, any sense of inadequacy or insufficiency in Christ that we need to augment and has, has, has made it clear to us that Christ alone is all that we need to be saved and to have a relationship with God forever. We've seen in chapter 3, Paul working uh, towards the practical, towards the application of Jesus is enough in our daily life. We've been looking at Colossians and, and, and seeing that, that Paul is teaching us what, what has been the purpose statement of River, that we help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus. And chapter 3 has been all about what does it mean to live out the good news of Jesus? We don't move away from it. We simply live it out. In a sense, Paul brings the idea of living out the good news of Jesus to a sharp focus 
to a, to a simple understanding of what living out the good news of Jesus is. And that is this. When you are saved by grace alone, you live by gratitude. Your life becomes entirely God's because God purchased you. And so every part of your life is thank you to God. You go from a a life of entitlement to a life of complete, permeating gratitude. That's why we call, or why I called this sermon today, Grace Overflowing. Because when when we have God's grace living in us, filling us up, it has to overflow in a life of gratitude. I think that's pretty instinctive. I think whenever we get something special in our life, uh, uh, the instinctive thing is to, is to be thankful for it. The question I have for us today is, how are we to be thankful? What kind of gratitude specifically does Paul call us to? When we talk about gratitude as living out the gospel, that's what we have to understand it is. When we receive the gospel, the way that we show gratitude for it is by living it out. This is, this is how kids teach us to, to live by gratitude. You, you come to Christmas, you, you buy a kid a new toy, and the way that they show you gratitude for it is they play with it. They just use it and, and expend all their energy on it and just gush with the joy of having what you have given them. Well, when God has given us a brand new life, restoring the image of God, taking away our sins, making us a new creation, What do we do by gratitude but live out a life of thankfulness? I remember when I was uh, saved in college. The the, the moment I was saved, I was filled with this this joy and excitement, this this aha, this detonation of, of love in my heart. And I was like, well, what am I gonna do? I just I was coursing with a desire to to be thankful. And I remember I had this idea, well, okay, um, now that I'm a Christian, I need to buy uh, a piece of jewelry with a cross on it. That's pretty essential to, uh, to showing uh, God uh, that I love him. Uh, then I thought, well, there's a lot of bumper stickers out there uh, that talk about how much, uh, much I love Jesus. Maybe I need to, need to get some of those. Uh, decor, you know, maybe I need to fill my house with, with little verses and, 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 and wall hangings and, and uh, artwork. Uh, there are lots of things that are out there that, that kind of tap into the, the, the give thanks to God, and all of those things are, are fine. But what does God really want to see from us, from our gratitude? What does he want to see? How does God want us to show his thankfulness? Paul, I think, might surprise us today in what he focuses on with the theme of gratitude. He tells us that what he wants, what God wants for his people who are living out the good news to show their gratitude uh, by is this, being part of the church. Being part of the church. And it might not be natural for us. We don't necessarily think like that. Being part of the church, perhaps we have issues with the church. Perhaps we struggle with with the church one way or another, about how it goes or, or about issues that we've had in the past with it. 
And we would rather say, you know, I'd rather give thanks by buying a, a cross and wearing it around my neck. Or I'd rather give thanks by making my house covered with, with wall decor. And, and none of that is, is bad. But, but if we want to truly show gratitude that really reflects the grace that we have received in the gospel, we must heed these words. And that is we must be a part of the church. As we look through this text, we're going to see Paul giving us three ways that being in the church shows our thankfulness for God's grace. Now, perhaps you have uh, not thought of the church in the way that Paul is going to explain it to us today, but I ask you to lean in and to, to pay attention to what it means that we have been called into the church and to reflect on whether our commitment and involvement in the church reflects a life of gratitude for the grace of the gospel. So as we look at this, three ways being in the church shows our thankfulness for God's grace Let us look at this very first one, that being thankful comes by cherishing Christ's people. The first thing we see is that being thankful for the grace of God is cherishing Christ's people. Look again at verse 15. Verse 15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body And be thankful. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What peace is he talking about when he talks about that peace? He is speaking of the peace that we have in the gospel, the peace that comes to us because we have been reconciled by God. Go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Paul says, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is the peace that Paul is talking about when he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace that Christ purchased for you by reconciling you who were hostile in mind, who were in rebellious sin, who were absolutely uh, uh, scoundrels to God. And yet Christ came and reconciled, came and took all of the sin, all of the rebellion that, that, that defined our lives and paid for it by the cross so that all that separated us from God would be removed and we could be joined to him, knowing him in peace as our heavenly father. That is the peace of Christ that is being mentioned here. And it is a precious peace. When we think about the peace of Christ, we need to always have in our minds the blood of Christ. When we choose to break the peace of Christ, we are injuring the blood of Christ, which has put us together. We do not break the peace lightly. 
And so when the blood of Christ, the blood purchased peace of Christ rules us, we are to live at peace with one another. This is not just a vertical peace. This is not just reconciliation that Christ purchased between us and God. But in the cross, it is the peace that he purchased for us and each other. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, where Paul, in a, in a very similar argument, says this, For he, Christ himself, is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In context, Paul is speaking of the the Jew-Gentile conflict and is showing that in Christ's death, not only was there reconciliation with our sins being forgiven, but all of the, the separations that we had created between Jew and Gentile has been abolished as well. And so Paul is saying when Christ purchased our peace, it's not just vertical, it's not just walking around saying, I'm good with God. I, I don't like anybody in my church, but I'm good with God, and that's, that's all that really matters. No, the peace that Christ purchases goes horizontally as well as vertically. And so when we say, let the peace of Christ rule, recognizing that we are, are made one with God by the blood of Christ, we also need to recognize we've been made one with each other in the gospel by the blood of Christ. And so peace needs to be cherished. Now before I go on, do you know this reconciliation? Do you know what I have spoken about? Are you aware that that born to yourself, living in yourself, you are a sinner that, that is doing things that offends a holy God? That your life of of choosing my way as opposed to submitting to the scriptures is is an act of rebellion, is is an act of treason against the creator of the universe. Do you recognize, have you you dealt with the fact that 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 is where you begin? You begin as a rebel. But that Christ has come and he has died on the cross to reconcile. That reconciliation that he has provided is received by faith, by believing, yes, I am a sinner condemned justly for my sins, but I I fall upon your mercy, Christ Jesus, as the atoning, satisfying sacrifice for my sins. And I submit my life to you to live for you. Do you know that reconciliation, that faith in Christ alone? Because if that has not fallen true for you yet, none of what we are going to say today applies until that is settled. Now I want you to notice then another word in this text. Paul says of of these people that are ruled by the peace of Christ that they have been called. They have been called. God is doing the calling, and you have been called, Paul says, to a place. Look again at the the verse. He says, uh, to which indeed you were called in one body. This word called is, is God's doing, and God has called you to a body. He has called you to a place. We should think of the words that Paul spoke to the 
to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17 when we recognize that God is in control of our whereabouts. Paul said to to the uh, uh, people in Athens, he said, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That, that is part of what Paul has in the background of, of being called. Paul is saying that you Colossians, individuals, have been called in one body, the church of Colossae. You have been put in Colossae and you have been called into this fellowship, this body of believers, not simply because you woke up one morning and said, I'm going to go see what's going on at that, at that happening place down the street. He is saying that primarily you have been put here, uh, individuals of Colossae, because God has called you here. He has assembled you into this people of God here at Colossae. And that's a universal principle, as, as, as the Acts passage tells us. Our place in life, our dwellings, our goings and comings, they are all determined by God. And so just as it is true that Paul could say to the Colossians, you have been called in one body. We can say to River Community Church, you have been called here to River Community Church. Your life has been, has been ordered to place you here. You are not here accidentally. You are not here primarily because of all of the choices that you made to come here. I'm not saying those aren't real. But above all of that is the fact that God has said, be in my body at River Community Church. It was his decision. It was his call. And you are a body. A body has all of the body parts connected. Nobody describes a body as a bucket of severed parts. The way a body works is that it's all connected. It's all together. And that body is a unity. It is, it is a one body that gets along. We don't see people walking around with their arms and their legs doing different things and, 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 and recognizing that a, a, a coherent body. What does all this mean? God has called us to live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ here together as one body. The subject of that sentence is God. God has called us here to live in and live out the good news of Jesus. We are not here primarily because we have chosen it. We are here because God has brought us here for his good and your good. And so when we recognize this, church is a gift. This is a gift of God purchased By the cross. And so Paul says, be thankful. Be thankful. Christ's peace is a gift and Christ's church is a gift. Both of them have been purchased by the blood of Christ. And so they must be precious to us. They must be cherished by us. How? How do we cherish this precious gift of the church? I think there are three ways in verse 15 that we, that we cannot miss. 
One, if we cherish Christ's people as a gift of the gospel, if we give thanks for that grace, we are first and foremost present. We are here. We are committed to being here. The, the word called means that we have been put together. It's, it's, it, it shares with the word for church, which is ecclesia. They have the same root. And ecclesia means assembly. If we cherish Christ's people, we assemble into the body and we worship together. Second, if we are thankful, we work at appreciating Christ's people. Now, I know in every group of people, there are individuals that we like more, that we get along with better, that we have more affinities with. But we have been put together here as a body. And there is something of each individual here that we are to appreciate as a gift from Christ to the body. We are to love one another and appreciate each and every one of us. And when we allow things to get in our head that puts us in opposition to somebody in the church, then we, by the blood of Christ, are urged and tasked with working out that so that we can appreciate each and every individual in unity. One of the things that I've enjoyed doing as a, as a pastor here the last couple years is, is writing birthday cards for every single person. As long as your birthday is in church track, I, I think I've written you a birthday card. But I, I love doing that. And one of the things that I really love about doing that is I take a moment and I say, I am thankful for this person. I mean those words. I'm so thankful for you. And in the prayer that I, I, I write, I write a different prayer, but, but I always say, thank you, Father, for you. Because you're a gift. You're, you're, you're God, Christ's beloved, and you're a gift to me that I get to pastor and I get to love. And when I spend time appreciating it's a lot, hard, a lot harder to, to get caught up in, in all of those human ways that we divide and, and, and get um, aggravated. Paul stresses being appreciative to each other. Just go back to the very beginning of Colossians uh, 1.3, where he, Paul says to the church, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, Paul's letters always start with thanksgiving. Even the churches that are really bonkers, like the Corinthian church, Paul still says, I thank God for you. And that's where we start our relationships. Christ has purchased you and brought you into a body with me. I start with thankfulness for you. And third, the third way that, that we show thankfulness by cherishing, to cherishing Christ's people is that we serve its peace. We serve its peace. When Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule you, the word rule there is the, is the same word that is used for an umpire. 
It calls the shots. It makes sure that the play is fair. It makes sure that the game is conducted appropriately. It keeps things from going out of bounds. It governs. It rules. Paul is saying that the peace of Christ must rule you. To to, to transgress the rule of Christ is really not to submit to Christ at all. But to be ruled by Christ is to live together in the body with a reconciling, forgiving, patient, gracious, kind, gentle spirit. That is the rule of Christ. And as we are thankful for the church, as we cherish Christ's people, we should all be striving to inhabit Romans 12, 18, where Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Meaning that if there is a conflict, there is absolutely nothing more that you could do to make peace and to work with and to love and show grace than you have done. But until then, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Being thankful then means cherishing Christ's people, but second, being thankful also means growing each other in the word. And let's look now at verse 16. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Paul tells us that the the next thing that our gratitude calls us to after being saved in the gospel of grace is to be together growing with each other in the word. And what is the word? The word is the word of Christ. It's the word of the one who purchased you, who who died on the cross for you. Paul is saying the word of Christ is the word of God. I mean, it's as as clear as day that Paul is, is, is telling us that Christ is God. And so the word of God, which is the word of Christ, has been given to us And our call to it in gratitude is to dwell richly upon it. How special is it that that we have the Word of God? I mean, uh, there are so many things I could say about the fact that we have the Scriptures. But the most important thing is, you have the Scriptures because God has opened your ears. God has determined that you will hear His voice. As Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I mean, to have a Bible, to have the Word of God for you is to say, I love you. I want you to know me. I want you to know my love for you. I want you to have a deep, deep relationship, the kind of relationship that you get when you spend dinner time after dinner time after dinner time with your spouse or your kids. 
by being in the word. He opened your ears so that you could hear his voice. And his voice is, I laid my life down for you. I, I, I think about that Christmas story, the Polar Express. And the story is about uh, this little kid who's given up belief in Santa Claus. And he is given this journey up to the North Pole. And he is given a bell from one of the reindeer. And he is given the ability to hear that bell by his belief. And the the end of the story is how much he cherishes that bell that he has never given up hearing. And he has been given a hearing of that bell as a special gift. Now, I'm not talking about Santa Claus. I am telling you that God has given you the ring of his word in your ears so that you can always hear the voice of your shepherd. And know that he loves you. And be drawn deeper into his abyss of joy for you. It is the greatest gift. And it pains me that it is a struggle for so many Christians to open it up and to listen to it and to dwell richly upon it. But simply, friends, simply beloved, to be thankful to God is to treasure his word. And to treasure his word is to be growing in it. Paul says, dwell richly. When he says dwell richly, he he uses in the Greek a way to both mean in you personally, but also to mean among you as a people. And so certainly I'm appealing to you individually Love the word, be in the word, take time in the word. But more I want to focus on the the way the word works in the body, the way the word works together. It is so important that we prioritize as Christ's sheep being in a word-saturated church. A word-saturated church is defined for us in this verse. It's, it's, it's a place where, where the, 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 the people of God, the body of Christ, are committed to teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom the word of Christ. It is a place where the people of God are committed to singing the word of Christ through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It is to say that the entire worship service is governed by the word. That is why the the call to worship, the first word we have here, is God's word. And the benediction, the last thing we hear here is God's word. And the songs that we sing are informed and built deeply on the theology of God's word. And the sermon is the exposition of God's word. Because this place dwells richly upon the word of God. This is such a a powerful means of grace, being at church, receiving the word of God in in this environment 
will change your life. I used to do ministry at a, at a nursing home. And the, the patients there, the majority of them, their, their minds were just gone. I, I couldn't preach a word to them that would do anything. But I could sing Amazing Grace. And they could sing with me. Because somehow, in God's beautiful way, he has made sure that songs that we have learned in, in worship go to a place that the, 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 the decrepitness of our aging minds don't wipe away. And we are able to say and sing amazing grace when we can do nothing else. And so living and singing scripture and theology and teaching and admonishing, it is filling you with what you will need to survive and to persevere that day that comes when you can't assemble. Growing is a group project. That's, that's what Paul wants us to see here when he says, let the, the, the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Growing is a group project. The Spirit works his word in the community in ways he doesn't when we are just alone. When we are just alone we pick and choose what we read and, and uh, how attentive and devoted we are varies. But even more importantly, so much of the word calls us to apply it to the body, which we cannot do alone. And so the word of God is meant to be feasted upon in the community of the church. You see, when, when the, the Spirit joins us together in one body into a community, he works his word amongst us in a special sense, in a sense that we would call incarnational. The word of God is enfleshed by your brothers and sisters left and right of you, and they have a power to speak the word to you that you need to hear. A famous book about community is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. It's worth reading. Every single Christian ought to have an opportunity to read it. He says this about the community of believers sharing the word. He says, Christians need other Christians who speak God's word to them. They need them again and again when they become uncertain and disheartened. They need them solely for the sake of Jesus Christ. The Christ in one's own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of another Christian. The heart in one's heart is uncertain. The word is sure. As such, God allows Christians to come together and grants them community. You, you understand that your ability to speak the word of God into, into your brother or sister here in this room is the Spirit speaking the nourishing words of the shepherd to them. And you can't get that alone. I am still struck by the, the story of Andrew Brunson who spent two years in prison and he spoke about how much he struggled to make the word apply to him in his jail cell. He was by himself. He just struggled. He had all of these, but God, but God, or that doesn't apply to me, that doesn't apply to me. And his wife 
for 30 to 45 minutes a week would visit him, and her job was to give him the word of God, to say, this is what you need for your soul. And he spoke on the significance of that. That is the incarnational role of the body serving the word to one another. We all need this. We, we sing these songs of great theology, not just for ourselves. I want you to hear this. We, we are not singing just for ourselves. We are singing for the people left and right of us, that they would hear the voice of Christ speaking these wonderful truths in these songs. And if they are here so burdened and discouraged that they can't even sing them, then that they hear you singing them. In a sense, you sing it for them. And that is a ministry that I am sure some of us here know has been the difference. Let them hear. Let your brothers and sisters hear the word dwell richly in you and dwell richly amongst us. But th- so, so we are, are, are thankful by growing in the word together, but, but I also want us to see the last part of verse 16 because uh, we are also thankful by worshiping joyfully in unity. And that's where the last part of verse 16 comes in. We are told that Uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul, Paul moves from the word of Christ dwelling richly to the, the word of Christ bursting out in praise and song and worship. The clear, clear principle here is when the word dwells richly, your life becomes doxology. You praise God. You can't be filled with the grace of God and be nonchalant. You you burst with thanks. You burst with singing. So so what does it mean when, when we are filled with doxology from the word dwelling in us richly? We sing. We sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's a variety of song styles that, that, that we can sing. I, I think it's important that we recognize there's not just one kind of worship song. But more importantly is Paul's emphasis that the songs that we sing are rich with theology that is right, and they are sung together with the heart. So we sing, but second, we sing from the heart. Paul says giving thankfulness in your hearts to God, meaning very simply that your singing comes from your heart. It is is overflowing. It comes out of the core of your being. To sing with your heart is to say, I sing with all of my heart. I sing joyfully. I sing out loud. I sing loudly. Psalm 66, verses 1 and 2. Oh, that this would describe us. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Psalm 
Shouting ought to be the volume of our singing. Our singing ought to reflect the glory of his name. It shouldn't just be our six-inch voice. I don't think that's going to cut it in the throne room of heaven. The singing that, that ought to be coming out of us is a singing that captures his praise, a singing that is in and of itself glorious in reflecting the one we're singing about. Shout for joy. That is what we are to be doing when we worship joyfully in unity. My brothers and sisters, is your worship mirroring your thankfulness, your joyfulness in salvation? Could a visitor come in here and say, the way that guy sings, he has been changed. He has a song in his heart. I hope so. Here's my vision. I would love to see our voices challenge the band for the loudest volume in the room. Wouldn't it be great if we couldn't hear the guitar? Because we are that loud. I love the guitar, Kevin. But I'm not here for the guitar. (laughs) I'm here for the shout of joy. Wouldn't that be great? And then third, we, we worship joyfully in unity by singing, by singing from our heart, and then by singing together. This is is corporate. Singing shows the gift of the church. It, It shows our unity because we are all singing the same confession when we sing. It shows the beautiful harmony of Jew and Greek, slave and and free and and Scythian and all these other mishmash people coming together and they sing in harmony. All these individual voices, which are individual gifts of God, meld together to make a sound that only this church can make. Every single voice contributes to the unique tone and tenor and sweetness and flavor to our God. How gorgeous is that picture of our harmony when we sing? And then it's beautiful. I I stink at singing. I am a a horrible singer, but, but joined with our voices It is beautiful music. It is a sweet sound. Oh, my friends, let us shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. There are many ways that we are to to show our gratitude to God. And next week we'll deal with verse 17. But this week... This time, we need to recognize Paul's emphasis that we live out a theology of grace by gratitude that gives thanks for the church, that cherishes Christ's people, that grows with each other in the word, that worships joyfully in unity. This is an important reminder for us. I don't know what is ahead for each and every one of us individually. I don't know what is ahead of us corporately. But being able to come together and worship together is a gift, and we don't know when the last one of those will be. I have a friend from my previous church 
that was there one Sunday and smacked with a stroke the next day, and she can't worship. She lives in a chair. Bonhoeffer again says, It is easily forgotten that the community of Christians is a gift of grace from the kingdom of God, a gift that can be taken from us any day, that the time still separating us from the most profound loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let those who until now have had the privilege of living a Christian life together with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of their hearts. Let them thank God on their knees and realize it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are still permitted to live in the community of Christians today. Andrew Brunson went two years into solitary just suddenly. And he left four words, we've been detained, pray. That's how quickly this gift can can be taken. So while it is here, let us treasure God's gift of grace together. I want to end then with two exhortations. If this this life of gratitude describes you, if, if this grace and this gift of the church thrills you, then here's my two exhortations. Be here. Be here. Make it your priority, not for one out of four or two out of four. Be here every week as much as you can. Be here. Don't show the lordship of your kid's sports team. Be here. It is more important for your kids to be formed by the means of grace here than get a little bit better at their football or baseball. And second, be here on time. Please, 1030, fill this room with your voices that we can worship together in the unity of the Spirit. Let us, let us experience that, that rich sound of all of our voices together. Let's kill these bad habits. And so one thing that I, I want us to do to, to, to kill these bad habits is I want us today to commit together to Sunday, September 15th. I want 100% here. I'm 100% here. I want everybody that calls River their home here. This is not to say that I'm in place of of already. You continue to to worship faithfully, but every week, 25% of us are missing. I want a week where 100% are here, where the full voice of this body sings together. Let's commit to the fullness of God's gift of community at River. I mean, how great will it be all together, all worshiping, all on time? Commit. Say these words, I can't, to whatever comes up. I can't miss church. Whatever it is, just say, I can't miss church. And as you see people who who aren't here as regularly as you are, encourage them. Tell them, we miss you. We need you. You make us better and stronger. Please be a part of it. 
Let us commit then to making this place overflow with all our thankfulness to God for his amazing grace. And all of God's people said, Amen.